So thank you so much, Gary. And I just want to highlight to that class that if any of you are interested, and this is this would be for, like, let's say that you're single, or let's say that you're recently married, you just want to get a, you know, refresher course, maybe retirement age, and you just want to get a handle on finance. Whatever your situation is, I think you'd find that class would be really beneficial. Now, all you got to do is just call the church office, let us know you're interested. We'll get that pile of names and give it to Brent, and then he'll contact you and... Uh, and talk to you about a, a time and a place to do that. So, and again, I just want to thank you guys for helping out with all this. Let me just first of all state, I hope is obvious, is that I wholeheartedly support what Gary's presented about the direction that this is going. I think it, uh, it is exciting and will certainly give us greater freedom. I mean, just think about this. Imagine uh, how many of you are currently paying on a home, okay, currently paying on Imagine what it would be like not having that debt. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you can just kind of capture that feeling for a second, you'll know what we're talking about and, and, and the freedom that that would provide. I'll tell you the, the reason that, you know, Janet and I, you know, think about that kind of thing is that, okay, you got that amount of money. What would you do with that money, right? Well, I think of how, you know, we could give to people. If somebody has a need, all right, you know, like when you're strapped, you usually don't think, you know, I'll just give them $200 or something because, you know, you feel so strapped. But imagine having the freedom to be able to do that. Just hand them money like that. Um, that's what being out of debt does. It just gives you so much more freedom. So when you see that on a personal level, you realize then, you know, from a, a, an organization like this, the benefit of that. Let me say this, that our job as a church, is to be good stewards of what God has given us and to operate by faith. I mean, I think when it comes to CCC, God is far more pleased with our faith and our obedience, and that's what he's interested in, and not so much, you know, how much facility we have or how many staff we have. Now, not that that's not important and needs to be addressed, but I think priority-wise, God is far more interested in our obedience, our stewardship, and, and, and our ability to operate in faith. Uh, listen to this. This is, uh, you might remember this parable. This is the end of the parable in, in, about the, uh, the rich ruler in, in Luke 12. Listen to this. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God, rich toward God. I love that phrase. Isn't that what we're all after? To have a richness that when we're dead, we have invested in eternity and there are rich rewards for that. We've not squandered our life We've not squandered our time, we've not squandered our treasure, we've not squandered our talent, but we have invested in the kingdom in eternity for the life that is to come. Now, the fact is we can attain a whole lot of earthly possessions and not be rich toward God. And the fact is we could have huge facilities, multiple staff as a church, and guess what? Not be rich toward God. Because that involves obedience, stewardship, faith. Those are the things 
that God rewards. That doesn't mean that earthly possessions are useless, quite the contrary, but I see it through the filter of how God can use those things for eternity because I want my life to count beyond this life. In our discussions as elders, you know, we've talked about this thing of, of, of debt reduction and presenting this to you as a church. And, you know, our feeling is that if you just talk about debt reduction, that's about as exciting as, you know, watching paint dry or something like that, all right? I mean, it's really, that's what we're talking about today. So unless we connect this concept to, like, our vision or our mission, people don't get too excited about it. Now, I believe that that's true. You have to connect it to the vision or mission. But I also don't want to give you the idea that this is some, you know, Jedi mind trick to have us do this over here so that, you know, we can do this there, you know, like divert your attention or something. That's not at all what's taking place. What I'm about to talk to you about are very real needs. It's the, it's the reality of what is going on, okay, and then the relationship that that has to our debt, okay? So, trying to filter all that through God's sovereignty and our stewardship. I think Gary alluded to this. The problems that we have are what we call good problems, right? I mean, there are a lot of churches that would willingly trade places with us. I hope you realize that. I was talking to somebody this week who told me of a church, not in this town, but somewhere else, where the attendance is dwindling. They now have this huge facility, and they're like BBs in a shoebox. They don't have near the people to fill the space. They don't have near the ministries, and there's very little hope of it changing soon. So... The condition we have is quite the opposite. We just don't have enough room, right? So this is not a complaint. It's a good situation to be in, right? But I want to at least to describe reality to you. So we have two services. uh, And I just had one of my ushers tell me, you know, during the service, say, we had three visitors leave because there were no seats for them, okay? Uh, That's not the first time I've heard that. So we try to adjust quickly so that we can, you know, manage that. But it's uncomfortable for some people to sit so closely together, and if they don't see a seat readily available, they feel like nothing is there for them. Okay, that, that just makes my skin crawl, right? Because we want to be very hospitable and have a place where people feel welcome and safe, right? Uh, so... We, we tried three services. We thought, well, let, let's create more room and have three services. And it just wasn't all that successful. Now, maybe there's some things we could have done differently, and I think if we were to do it again, we probably would do it differently, and it might work better the next time. But I'm just convinced, at least for us right now, I don't think that is a great long-term option. All right? I mean long-term. We could do it maybe short-term. But three services... I mean, just imagine the wear and tear upon your volunteers when you do that. And for a church our size, it just, if you had more people, you know, three services for, let's say, a church of 1,000 is a lot different than, than three services for a church of 400, okay? Um, 
So space is a precious commodity for us here at Christ Community Church. Our, our children's ministry consistently runs over 100 kids a Sunday, and our space is very limited. As, the, as that ministry grows, the needs of the rooms that they, you know, that they need also grows, which means that it lessens our availability of adult classes. Again, good problem to have, right? It really is. I mean, if I were in this conversation and I said, hey, we got several rooms we don't know what to do with. We just have any ministries, nothing going on. Anybody got any ideas on what we can do to fill that space? All right. That would be a much different conversation than one I hope I never have to have around here. All right. Every room here is being used to the point that we have no dedicated church offices. I don't know if you knew that. We don't. My office consists of the the high, junior high room, okay, directly across the way there, I set up a white table with my laptop. That is my office during the week. Laura stands at her welcome desk when you go and welcome the kids. She stands there. That's where she works. And, and Kim has the pleasure of having her own desk in the worship supply room, okay? Now, again, I'm not complaining. And listen, if we had to do this for the rest of our lives... I'd be fine with that. Know that, all right? That, that's truly the case. But flip this around. Imagine, if you would, your business, okay, and, and Spartan office surroundings, and you have vendors or customers come to you, what are they going to think? Right? You know, what kind of Yahoo organization is this? Can they not even afford a desk or what, okay? That doesn't make for a great professional experience or environment. Now, could we function better if we had dedicated offices for our staff? I'd say, yeah, we could. But can we function now not having that? Yes, and we do, right? We've learned to adjust. We create ways in which we can use the space. But we do so with a long-range plan that we're going to need that extra space when the debt is handled. Another thing I've dreamt about is having a pavilion out back and an outdoor stage so that we could come together at least once a month, everyone, okay, one service during the summer months. I think that'd be cool. The outdoor option gives us that ability not to be you know, limited by brick and mortar. There's no way we could do that in this facility at, at, at present but we could outside, all right? Now, can we do ministry without an outdoor stage and a pavilion? Well, of course we can, and we have been doing it, all right? But if we expanded those options, would that give us greater opportunity in the future, having an outdoor stage and pavilion? I'd have to say yes to that as well. So we aggressively tackle the debt, and then we're in a much better position to do something about that out back. In case you don't know, and you can ask my wife this, and I think she would attest that I love my job. I love what I do. I get up in the morning. I, I don't ever remember saying the words, I hate being a pastor, or not being energized by the, the work of ministry. Now, do you have downtime? Sure. I'm not one that's prone to depression. I'm not saying I never get depressed, but that's just not my makeup, kind of type A, you know, go hard and... Just, you know, stop when you drop, right? So I still have energy for 
what is going on here? And I, and I love you guys. That, all right, that, that's the case. Um, and I have, you know, no specific plans on walking away from that. But there's going to come a time in which I'm going to have to pass the baton to somebody else. I mean, that's just being smart, right? Right? Uh, you, you have to do that. And, and so that means that we have to train somebody for that senior role, and that means having an associate pastor. Now, I've talked to some uh, other pastors who have kind of made this transition, you know, and, and, and stepped away, and some have done it well, and others have left churches that just seem to not found their footing yet after their pastor left. So we want to provide an environment in which people and particularly a staff person, is trained and equipped for that task. So attacking our debt puts us in a much better position to effectively address our staffing. Now, that's not the only staffing need we have. Uh, most of the staff we have, there are, if you don't know, there are two full-time staff here. That's me, and that's Laura, our children's ministry director. Everybody else is part-time. And so... You know, being able to have some of those be full-time would certainly I mean, increase the productivity and, and help us, but you just do what you can, right? Now, can we equip right now, staff, volunteers, can we equip, can we train others for ministry without having an associate pastor? Well, of course, and we're doing it. We've been doing it for years. We do it with a women's ministry, men's ministry. I take 10 guys every year. With Joshua's men, we, we take uh, Nehemiah's men, help, helping guys uh, go into manhood with that. Um, we do our life groups. We have the men's chapel. We have all these things, right? Now, can we amp up our training by adding staff who can help us in these key areas, an associate pastor and with expansion? Well, the answer is yes. That would be a great help. Uh, could we still move forward, let's, let's say, with planting a church? See, I, I think I've had wrong thinking previous, you know, years past of that. Well, if we get to a certain size, maybe seven, 800, then we could plant a church. I no longer think that. I think we need to start now. I think we need to start making plans and thinking about it now. I think we're big enough to do that now. And what's to stop us? We can't let the resources stop us with the vision that God has given us. So can we move forward with planting churches? I'd say yes. Will having that debt attacked and diminished, would that put us in a better place to do that? I think the answer to that is a resounding yes. Would really help. CCC has made great progress as a church in addressing some of the needs in our community and addressing poverty as we we're partners with the city in the Zone 1 Blitz. We had Greg Burris, who was the city manager at the time, came and spoke to us about the needs in our city. And you responded in a wonderful way. I've told you this before, but I remember in a, in a, a group of city leaders and leaders actually from around the country that he brought in, and he points to me and he goes, Kevin, tell everybody how your church has really helped our city and, you know, been a model for how to address these. And I about fell out of my chair because I got to tell you, I, I, I feel like insecure that we're not doing enough. I've always, I always have this thing in me that we're just not doing enough. All these needs, it's so prevailing. I just feel like, man, we need to be making more of an impact. And then he says that, I'm like, really? 
<laughs> you think we're a model? Because I don't see it, all right? I mean, I love, I love what we're doing, right? But I just see the needs are so vast. But it's cool to have that commendation of others who are saying, hey, good job. So I applaud you. You have responded so well to these things. I, I think of addressing the race issue where many are struggling with this in our community and you get on board and helping out with the, with the Unity Project in other ways. Or and I already mentioned Weaver Elementary School where we, where we come alongside the teachers and we've adopted Weaver, one of the neediest schools in the community. We come alongside the students and you've, you've given so generously there. It's been a testimony to see how how God has worked generosity in your hearts in the way of time and in your treasure and your talent uh, to these things. Life 360, Fairbanks is another one where you have given time, treasure, and talent in addressing these needs. Can we continue to address those needs as we are with this present debt? Yes. We can, and we'll continue to. But here's the question. Could our impact be even greater if we had more resources to address those issues with that debt gone? And the answer to that is an obvious yes, it would be. Okay, what I want you to hear from me is that no lack of resources should keep us from continuing to pursue the mission that God has given to CCC, right? Uh, We are a church, and Gary had it up on the screen, to uh, equipping and empowering people in their God-given gifts to what? To expand and advance the kingdom of Christ. We are going to continue to do that no matter what our budget is, how much money is in savings, what kind of facility we have, what kind of staff we have, that will be our mission. And we will work within what God gives us to continue to make advancements in that. We're going to work aggressively to meet the needs in our community. We're going to work aggressively to train and to equip. We'll continue, hopefully, to add missionaries as as God provides. We'll continue to go to Guatemala on an annual basis. So the question for us today, then, is this. Can we do these things in greater freedom and in greater measure without the debt hanging over us? The answer is yes, we can. The psalmist says this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Now, when one trusts in chariots and horses, he trusts in what he sees. He or she trusts in possessions. They they trust in what they can get their hands on, right? They trust in the, the acquisition of stuff. Having stuff is not wrong. It's trusting those things and those things alone to meet our needs, right? How does CCC maybe uh, trust in what they see? Well, we could do that by thinking that we can't progress in our mission unless we have, you know, a certain amount of money or buildings. We do this by thinking that we cannot walk in in obedience unless the Lord does something different than what is in our present circumstances. I'm here to tell you, it would be sin for us to think that way. Because what we need has been provided for us in Christ. 
He provides everything we need to walk faithfully with God and to be obedient to Christ. I don't need more money to do that. I don't need a bigger church to do that. I don't need a nicer car to do that. I don't need a a storage unit to do that. I don't need 50 gold bars in a security deposit box to do that. We trust not in chariots or horses. Now, here's the thing. Did God use chariots and horses? Yes. When his people would conquer other nations, guess what he used? Chariots, horses, right? When God would call them into battle. The problem is not the existence of the stuff. It's not, the problem is not the existence of chariots and horses. It's in thinking that they can do what only God can. Our trust is not in buildings. Our trust is not in staff. Our trust is not in money. Our trust is in a God who can use these things as he sees fit in the measure that he provides. If you could boil it all down, what am I asking you to do? I'm asking you to have faith, to walk in faith. What can we do to trust God and to walk in faith? In short, I think that we, we walk by faith when we go after the goal in front of us with total dedication and complete dependence upon God. And while debt, some might view as just nothing but an obstacle, I think right now it's for us an opportunity to watch God do something beyond what we ask or think. We walk by faith by doing what is right in the moment, right now, trusting God to make for us a better future. Why is walking by faith so important? Let me give you four reasons. I'm glad you asked. Number one, everything is to be done by faith, right? Romans 14, 23, okay? Whatever is not of faith is what? It's sin. Everything we do to be walking by faith in dependence upon God. Number two, operating in faith positions us to see better. Our eyes improve when we walk by faith. You know what it is? Because I'm able to see more about how God is moving, and I'm able to be more grateful. You know what happens when we walk by faith? We pray more. We're we're expectant of God to do big things. And, And when God does those things, we praise him, and that's an opportunity to thank him. It's like, you know, I have my prayer list, and I have the things that I'm praying for, and then I have the answers that God gives, and then those are opportunities to thank God. Now, what if I wasn't praying? What if I wasn't expectant? Those would not be opportunities then for me to be grateful to God. So the more I pray, the more that gives me an opportunity to thank God and to be grateful in my life. How many of us could use a little bit more gratefulness? I could. I think we all could. Let me tell you something. Amp up your faith. Amp up the things that you're praying for. Keep track of it. And when God answers, you say, go God, and that'll encourage you. So operating in faith positions us to see better. If I had little or no faith and was not praying, I would miss these opportunities to be thankful. Number three, operating in faith makes us actively dependent on God. Now, when we simply devise a a human strategy, we can easily take pride in that accomplishment, that we're just depending on 
on human strength. We're not trusting in horses and chariots. We can't do that. We have to operate on faith. We station ourselves to expect God what we cannot do in our own strength. Let me ask you this. What do you think God is more honored by? Is he more honored by the fact that we operate by faith today or that we go about just doing our own thing in our own way? Rather obvious, right? We operate by faith. We're asking God to do big things. We're stepping out. We're obedient today to what he's called us to do, which brings us to number four. Operating in faith means I can be on mission now and walk in obedience without any excuses. Without any excuses. You know, I would walk with God if only my spouse would. You know, I, I could be obedient and serve God if I had more money. If God would just get us a new house. If those stocks would only, then I could really serve God. You have fallen, my friend, for a trap. And you know how to get out of that? Start exhibiting some faith and acknowledge that you are responsible now, today, to live obediently, to live faithfully, to walk by faith, right? We can't think that we have to wait to be obedient until we have some different circumstance, some different relationship, or a a host of other excuses before we do what God wants us to do. So as a church, what that means for us, we are going to continue to equip and empower people in their God-given gifts to advance the kingdom of Christ. Let me ask you this. Are you on board? On board with the mission? I said, are you on board with the mission? Then we need to get to work and express faith by concertedly attacking that debt that's in front of us. So may God show his gracious hand and may we see him do things that we never thought possible, and then we can just say, yay, God, look what he did in that. That's what I'm after.